here with us, especially if you're visiting. We are so glad that you've come out and joined with us tonight in our worship to God. And we want you to come back and be with us at any opportunity that you do have. If you would, be opening your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. The basis for our sermon tonight will be Hebrews 5. We are going to notice verses 7 through 10. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. The author states, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, I can remember as a child growing up, and I imagine that maybe a few of us perhaps have memories similar to this, but I can recall spending time with my grandmother my maternal grandmother, and I spent a lot of time with her. And I can remember during the days of the summer, she would often watch TV programs, and she would often refer to those as her stories. She would watch her stories. Well, what she was watching was the soap operas of the day. But she called them her stories, and I can remember, I couldn't wait to go visit my grandmother, and I hated that all we could watch was her stories on TV. One of those shows that she watched has lent its name to one of the more common uh, cliches of our day. Since November the 8th, 1965, we have heard, as sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. That's almost... uh, A bad memory for me, to be honest with you. Now, I'm not endorsing that particular type of programming, but I think it makes the point. As sand does go through the hourglass, the days of our lives continually pass on. It doesn't matter what emergencies or disasters that this life offers up to us. Our lives will continue, those of us who continue to have life. It's not going to stop until the Lord returns and He decides to end time as we know it. Now, we're constantly reminded, aren't we, of just how short life truly is. Now, often we think of James chapter 4 and life being a vapor, and that's true. That's a, that's a wonderful illustration of how fast life is. But I want us to notice Ecclesiastes 6 verse 12. Solomon said this, For who knows what is good for a man in life, all the days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? That's that's quite an illustration of how fast our lives are. Our lives are like a shadow. Job called it a weaver's shuttle, didn't he? How fast a weaver's shuttle uh, works as someone is making the thread. Though the Word existed in eternity, and we understand that Jesus, the Word, is eternal. He is God, just as the Father is God, just as the Holy Spirit is God, and He is from eternity. 
But his days in the flesh, the writer of Hebrews so aptly stated, had a beginning. And in fact, they had a beginning and lasted for a very short period of time, didn't they? In fact, most of us here today have lived longer than what our Lord has lived. I'm 46 years old. I've lived about 13 years on this earth longer than what our Lord did. And I consider myself to be just in the prime of my youth. And so we see that he, he didn't live a very... It's not funny. He didn't live a very long time, did He? Jesus did live about 33 years prior to dying, returning back to the Father, sitting at the right hand of the throne on high on power. And He went back and, and He was with the Father. Now the, the writer of Hebrews makes the obvious statement and he talks about, within the whole letter, the many things that Jesus did in that short period of time. He accomplished great things. He accomplished more in a short period of time than most people will ever do in, in uh, tens of thousands of lifetimes, obviously. And the things that he did do are very important, not only to those who lived in the time that he lived, but live even unto today. Those who lived prior to his coming to earth, he came and it was a necessity for them for Him to come into the world. Now it appears, along with their desire to return back to the old law, the writer of Hebrews, in speaking to those who had received his letter, had some difficulty also in believing that God had taken the form of a human being and lived on this earth for that period of time. The writer spent some time in the very first chapters of Hebrews talking about the importance of Christ's coming and exactly why we needed Him to be incarnate and come into the history of mankind. As the letter unfolds, the author touches both the purpose of His coming and the mission that He fulfilled while He was here. Now what I want us to look at for a few minutes this evening and as we look in Hebrews chapter 5, I want us to look at the days of Christ's life, the days of His life. But I want us to be able to make some kind of an application to what Christ did to what we need to be doing today. So I want us to compare the days of His life with the days of our lives. Are we doing the things that He would ask us to do? Are we doing the things that would please Him? Are we trying to be better today than we were yesterday? Are we trying to be better tomorrow than we are today? Because that's exactly what Christ expects from us. That's what He wants from us. And that was in part why He came to earth, so that we could be able to do that. But I want us to notice, as we live in this life and we look at the days of our lives, we have to be able to continually do what God asked us to do, no matter what the circumstances. Now we look at our lives and we say, especially when we get a little bit older, that went by very fast. Or I look back on the day that my oldest daughter was born, was married this past March, as you know, and I think that's not possible. So many things happen between now and then. When Job talks about that weaver shuttle, He's not just talking about the swiftness of it, but there's a reason that life seems swift. 
All the things that are happening. Have you ever seen a weaver's shuttle in operation? I happened to see one on my last trip to Indonesia. I saw how they would do that, and there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of action going on within that weaver's shuttle. I think, in large part, that's why life seems to go by so fast. We're too busy for it not to go by fast. We never have enough time in this life, right? So, looking at and understanding those aspects of this life, we have to understand we want our lives to be like Christ's life as much as we're able no matter the circumstances, even when our days, like many of His days, and this is our first point, are sad days. We have sad days in this life. We can expect that. To help with His sad days, Christ devoted Himself to prayer. I think we overlook prayer as an avenue with which we've been blessed. God has given us access to His throne of grace, And we can see the activity of Christ's prayer life throughout His existence as He walked on this earth. Notice again what the writer said, "...who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto Him that was able to save Him from death, and was heard in that He feared." The Father listens. We're going to have sad days. And we are going to be able, or we're going to need to be able to cast certain burdens upon our God. But He has to have us ask Him about that. He has to have us to cast them upon Him. He's not just going to do it for us. He's asked us to do that. Go to Him in prayer. Peter said for us to go boldly to the throne of grace, right? That's what He wants. We notice as we look at Christ's life that often, he would, he would withdraw to a desolate place so He could spend time with the Father in prayer, just He and the Father. We see that Luke 5, verse 16. And I believe as we look at His life and we compare His life with our lives, if it was necessary for Jesus to take time out of His busy schedule, and I don't know that anyone has been busier than our Lord, if it was necessary for Him to take time out of His schedule... It is absolutely necessary for us to take time out of our schedules to go to God in prayer. I want us to notice also, through the education that Christ provided for His apostles and His disciples alike, He taught them that they needed to always pray and to never lose heart. We see that in the parables, don't we? Luke 18 verse 1. And in his writings to other congregations of the Lord's church, Paul would often ask them to pray for him. In the Thessalonian letter, he says, pray without ceasing. When he wrote to the Colossian brethren, he said, Colossians 4 verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So he understood the necessity for prayer. And we need to make our lives mirror that of Christ and of Paul. I don't know if you're aware of this, and I wasn't aware of it till I began this study. During the medieval times, often society so valued prayer that they would support nuns and uh, monks so they could be professional prayers. Now, we do not support the monastic lifestyle. That's not found in the Bible. We don't support that. But the point is this, 
that during that period of time, people understood something about prayer. They would support these people. They would not have to worry with manual labor. They would not have to have financial distress so that they could pray often day and night for the people. People would go by and ask them to pray for certain things. Again, we're not supporting that religion. But what we are making the point is they understood that prayer was important. And we ought to make that application to our lives. But Jesus had an active prayer life because first and foremost, He practiced prayer, right? That doesn't just happen. We don't wake up one morning and we have a prayer life that God wants us to have. We have to practice that. We have to pray. We have to set aside time. We may have to schedule some time for prayer. and Be reminded. We need to pray. We need to go before God. He prayed. And when He needed God the most, He prayed. But that wasn't the only time He prayed. But He did do it during those times. Now our text focuses on His time in the garden and His time on the cross when He reached out to the Father. Notice what Matthew recorded. Matthew 26, 36-39. Matthew recorded saying, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto His disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith He unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And He went a little further, and fell on His face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. And from the cross, His final words that we have recorded, a prayer to the Father, communing with the Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. Luke 23, 46. Jesus understood the very personal relationship that we ought to have as people with our Heavenly Father. He prayed to the One who could save Him. Right? He went to the one who was able to do those things. That's what God wants from us. I think it is extremely interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4.32, he came to the realization in a very personal way that God works in the kingdoms of men. And His providence, His providential hand is upon those kingdoms in some way. I don't portray myself to understand how providence necessarily works, but I know that God works in our lives through a non-miraculous way. So in some way He works in our lives. And Paul explained it this way, Ephesians three twenty through 21 Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So as we look at the days of His life, we see that some of those days are sad days. But we understand there are still things expected from us if we're going to be like Jesus was. But though some of His days were sad days, this is our second point, all of His days were were selfless days. 
His selfless life was demonstrated through His obedience. Though He were a son, He was still obedient, wasn't He? He learned obedience. How? The writer says, by the things He suffered. Now Christ understood what obedience was. There was never a question as to whether or not He would comply with the eternal purpose of God. The Godhood had determined in eternity how man would have the opportunity to be saved, the process through that which, through which that would happen, that the Word Himself would take upon the form of a man, He would be born into the history, into time on earth, and He would live for a short period of time. While He was here, He would teach the lessons of heaven. He would ultimately give His life for as the perfect sacrifice for all people. And we would be able to follow in His steps, being obedient to Him. Now, the writer implies, as we look at the words of the writer of Hebrews, he implies that Jesus should have been exempted from this obedience. It says, though He were the Son, right? He was still obedient. Now, exactly what's He talking? Excuse me, what's he talking about? How is it that Christ should have been exempted from this obedience? While on earth, he needed to be obedient, didn't he? That was part of the plan. Absolutely. He needed to do so concerning his baptism. He needed to, uh, or John needed to submit to him in baptizing the Christ to fulfill prophecy. So he needed to be obedient. So how is it that he should not have been obedient? We look at his time in the wilderness, the 40 days and the 40 nights of which he was tempted the whole time. He needed to be obedient. He needed to be able to resist those temptations. So what exactly is it that the writer is getting at? Exactly what is the point? I think what he's talking about is he's pointing out that Jesus did not need to come to earth for his benefit. He should have been exempted from that type of obedience, shouldn't He? But because of His great love and the the unity of the Godhood, He did yield and come to earth. Paul affirmed this, Philippians 2, 5-7, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery or something to be grasped, something to be held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We need to understand exactly what Paul intended here. Again, the King James Version uses this term robbery, something to to be held on to, something to be grasped. He understood that he, according to the plan of God, because all three make the one God, He needed to come to earth. He didn't think this equality with God was something he had to maintain. Now, we have to understand exactly what that equality is. What's what's the apostle speaking of? Christ was God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. You can't be more God or less God. You are either God or not God. He's talking about the glory of heaven. His leaving heaven to come and be born into this life. He didn't think staying in the glory of heaven was something to be held on to. He understood why he needed to do it. He learned his obedience. 
in the sense that he experienced it in a very personal way. There's only one person who can stand by our side in judgment and can say, I understand what it means to be a man and I understand what it means to be God. The Father and the Spirit can't do that. They weren't born into this world. That doesn't take anything away from them. They are just as much God as the Word who became Christ. But Jesus is the man who died for our sins. He understands. And He learned that obedience because He he suffered in the flesh. We can't stand before God on the day of judgment and say, you just don't understand what it's like to live in this world. You, you've asked too much from us. No, not so. Jesus, He experienced all the temptations. He experienced all the heartaches, all the ups, the downs, the joys of this life. He experienced everything this life has to offer, yet He did it without sinning. Hebrews 4.15 And because He was obedient in His selflessness, we, if we're going to compare our lives to His life, we're obligated to also be obedient. John taught this. 1 John 5, 2-3 By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Even when the days of our lives are sad days, we still have to maintain selfless days. Now Christ did that perfectly. We, not so good at it, are we? But we have to continually strive to do that. We have to try to be more selfless tomorrow than we were today. That's what the Christian life is all about. Being better tomorrow than we were today. Because salvation is only received by those who are obedient. Hebrews 5.9 The obedience that God requires from us has to at some point become second nature to us. Doesn't it? Let me give you an example of that. During the Vietnam War, Captain Ray Baker flew for the Strategic Air Command. Now as he was being trained, the Air Force trained him along with all the other pilots to get ready at a moment's notice. And what they used to prepare these men was a buzzer. At the sound of the buzzer, they would drop whatever they were doing and they would immediately run to the tarmac, and they would begin to look for their bombers. As I was reading about Captain Ray Baker, he said that he couldn't begin to remember the times that he had dropped his utensils in the middle of a meal, running out to get into his bomber. Well, on one occasion, he was permitted a furlough. He was allowed to go home to California and spend some time with his family. And while there his family took him out to his favorite Mexican restaurant. And everything was going wonderfully. They were enjoying his company. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the meal, he jumped up and he ran out of the restaurant. To everyone's shock and surprise, they didn't understand what was happening. Well, his nephew ran out behind him. And when he reached him out in the parking lot, he said, What are you doing? He said, I'm looking for my plane. As he was looking into the horizon looking for enemy aircraft. He said, what do you mean you're looking for your plane? He said, 
What caused you to run out? He said, I heard the buzzer. Well, then it hit the nephew. Located next to their table happened to be a buzzer that the wait staff used, or that the kitchen used to allow the wait staff to know the, the plate was ready. Whatever they had ordered was ready, and so they would hit the buzzer. And the buzzer happened to be by Captain Ray Baker's table. And so just out of second nature, he ran out looking for his bomber. You know, our obedience has to become like that, doesn't it? It has to become second nature. Do I need to have to look at every single situation in life and determine whether or not I can be a part of that? Well, I need to be aware of those things, but it needs to become second nature, right? I know I'm not going to do certain things. I know I am going to do certain things. Now, when we initially obey the gospel, absolutely, we're going to learn. We're going to understand things we didn't know before. We're going to learn things we need to do, things we don't need to do. But as we grow and we mature, just like these Air Force pilots, they hear the buzzer, they know exactly what they're going to do. We're faced with situations in this life, we're going to know exactly what we're going to do. What am I going to do if the Lord allows me to live for another ten years on whatever day of the month, if it happens to be Sunday, do I know where I'm going to be? I better know where I'm going to be if I'm alive in this world, right? I'm going to be congregating with the saints. That's what we're talking about, disobedience. And we're obligated. We're obligated by the life that Christ lived. Because His days were certainly sad days, weren't they? Many of them. His days were all selfless days. But, here's the thing we need to know. If we're never, or if we do not learn to be selfless, we will never know the satisfaction, and this is our third point, that Jesus knew in His life on this earth. He knew the satisfaction of having finished His mission, didn't He? We talked this morning about understanding what God's mission was and understanding that that needs to be my mission. We need to finish our mission. Through the cross, He completed the eternal purpose of God. He gave Himself. The church was established. He is the source and He is the cause of the hope that lives in the lives of every faithful Christian in the world. And like Him, we can lead others to salvation. We're able to do that. That was His mission. That needs to be our mission, right? That is our duty. And it's a wonderful opportunity. It's an honor to be able to do that. But it is a duty. If we don't do that, God's not going to be pleased with us. People are going to enter into eternity not having been prepared and maybe because I didn't help lead them into preparation. And I'll have to answer for that. If we don't bear fruit for God... Jesus told us what would happen. Notice John 15, 1 through 2. He said, I am the vine, my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. If we're not part of the vine, we're not bringing forth fruit. He's going to cut those limbs off, right? He's the vine, we're the branches. I can recall my dad every fall going down and 
trimming the, the vineyard. I can remember him going out and trimming the apple trees, the pear trees, the plum trees. And I thought every single year, well, you've killed them this year. He says, you can't trim them too much. And they would come back the next year and have even more than the year before. We have to be trimmed. But if we're not producing, we'll be simply cut off. Though we focus on this mission, we must never forget the satisfaction of saving our own souls as well. Because that happens. We can overlook ourselves. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16, He said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. What was it that Paul wanted Timothy to make sure he understood? You listen to what's being taught. You listen to what you are preaching. You make that application to your life. And then everyone else that listens, maybe they can be benefited as well. See, we have to watch ourselves. We need to be zealous in our mission to bring others to Christ, but we have to be zealous in our mission for us first to get to heaven. If we can make it to heaven and we're on our way to heaven, maybe we can bring our families with us. And if we're taking our families with us, then we can reach out and take as many other people with us as we're able. I believe that's what Christ intended. He didn't intend for us to ignore our families and go try to save the world. Now, He wants us to go save the world. Don't get me wrong. But we save our families first. Our mission begins at home. And we need to understand that. Just as Jesus was called to be our high priest, that's what the writer said. Peter explained to us in 1 Peter 2, 9 that we're a royal priesthood. Jesus is the high priest. Now, we don't have a priesthood like the denominations of the world. Each member offers sacrifice of the fruit of his or her lips. We're all priests in the church. And we are to behave accordingly. And that's what Jesus expects. And we need to remember... The days of our lives will not always go according to plan. I can remember thinking back, watching my grandmother watch her stories. I cannot tell you the times that she would turn that TV off and be so upset that so-and-so wasn't treated properly or so-and-so didn't do this. You know, it was just a continual gossip magazines. all it was on TV. Again, I'm not promoting that. But... We still have to, though things do not go the way we plan, we still have to be able to be selfless. We have to be able to reach the point where we can be satisfied, and that only comes once we die in Christ, once we've lived a faithful life. Many of our days are going to be sad simply because sin came into the world. Sin came into the world, Christ had to come be that sacrifice. Now, that doesn't give us the excuse or the crutch to say, well, sin came into the world, ruined God's pristine creation, therefore I don't have to be selfless. No, we have to be selfless. Because if we're not selfless, we're never going to know the satisfaction that comes with obedience and salvation. Living the Christian life and bearing fruit for God, bringing honor and glory to His name. There's salvation and there is uh, satisfaction in that. But for that to happen, we first have to be members of His body. We have to be members of the church. Christ came and died. He was obedient unto death so that we could obey the gospel pattern of salvation. Faith in that He is who He said He was. John eight twenty four, Repentance of all past sins, 
Acts 3.19. Confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 10.10. Bringing us unto salvation. And then immersion into Christ. Galatians 3.26 and 27. For the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 22.16. And faithful living. All the days of our lives. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that. As we stand and as we sing.